Want to learn about the latest emerging travel destination guaranteed to make it onto every Nomad's itinerary? Myself, Kim, alongside you, Phil. That's me. We're about to share the news. Welcome to the War Nomads podcast, delivered by War Nomads, the travel lifestyle and insurance brand. It's not your usual travel podcast. It's everything for the adventurous, independent traveler. As mentioned, Kim and Phil with you. And the destination I've heard described, Phil, as the Chiang Mai of Europe is featured in this destination episode. And what is it? Bulgaria. <gasps> Look, I didn't know, but it's got beaches. Uh, I did know it was affordable. And it's here's another fantastic fact if you're a digital nomad. It's got the fastest internet download speed in Europe. Well, one of them. One of them. We, don't, right. we, we don't want to go out too far on a limb. <laughs> Because <laughs> we've just slowed it down by mentioning it yes, straight away. Exactly. Okay, but that's you know with the similarities probably uh, stopped because Bulgaria is the oldest country in Europe. And look, it hasn't had a name change since it was first established in 681. So history buffs will love the place. Yeah. Plus, it's covered in forest and mountains, so it's great for hiking and skiing. Quirky fact, as if that's not enough already. <laughs> Bulgarians, and I love saying that, express approval by shaking their heads rather than nodding, a bit like the uh, Indians do as well. And while it's not quirky, but it is interesting, Facebook creator Mark Zuckerberg is named after his Bulgarian grandfather, Marco, who emigrated to the US from Bulgaria in 1940. Well, we're going to learn so much about Bulgaria in this episode, and we're kicking it off with Anna, who runs a travel lifestyle and solo female travel blog, and we'll share that in show notes, as we do with all our guests. Anna left a career in the software industry to become a solo female world traveller back in 2016. I was um, living in Bentian, Laos at the time as an expat. Um, I had already been on the road for a year and a half, uh, solo female tra- um, traveller. I've been on the road for a while, so I just wanted to uh, have my base uh, for a little bit. Uh, so I was living there and I was teaching English. And But, you know, having said that, blogging has always been in the back of my mind. I uh, always wanted to do it. And, uh, yeah, I, I guess it's more like timing, you know. So I had a bit of time in my hand and I said, sure. So I, was, I still remember that day. I was, you know, sitting in my lounge room in Bentien and I decided I'm going to do it right now. <laughs> so it was like 11 p.m. and I was like just starting a blog. Uh, has been a really lots of ups and downs and it, I have come to realize that it's really hard work to manage you know blogging and traveling at the same time so there is really fine line between how you manage that and how you balance um, you know balance that uh, work and travel thing but the other things why what makes me enjoy solo female travel is also definitely meeting a lot of people from different walks of life and I've met some really truly inspiring and amazing people who have done amazing things in life and are, are living a living their dream life you know it's really inspiring to meet these um, unique individuals and uh, yeah and also of course you know trying new food going to you know learn new skills getting to know new cultures. I think all these things, actually, these are all my favorite things in life and I definitely enjoy them and enjoy them more when I'm solo traveling because there's nobody to tell me that I can't do or I can't eat something, right? So how many countries have you been to? Um, look, now I am, I just finished my 47th country. I was in East Timor uh, and now I've done all these Southeast Asian countries. Um, but, uh, you know, I know the list is quite long, you know, there are like 195 countries in the world. So I've just been to 47 so far. 
Uh, I wouldn't say just. That's a pretty <laughs> good effort. <laughs> well, this pod, this podcast is about Bulgaria, uh, and you spent some time in Sofia, the capital. Am I pronouncing that correct? Is it like the girl's name, or is it Sofia? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. It, uh, I've been told that it's Y A at the end, so. Sophia. <laughs> oh, yeah. But you did right. You did right. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I like to have a crack and then I'm happy to be corrected. <laughs> yeah, me too. Same. So, what, is it worth visiting? Absolutely. Because it's such an interesting place. You know, it's like the sec, um, it's actually one of the oldest, oldest city or capital in Europe. You know, actually, in fact, it's the second oldest capital in Europe. And it, it has so much history, is so much history. But again, if you're not into history, then there is also the whole new modern things happening in the capital now. It's really interesting to be there and to observe that uh, new things happening. For example, you know, there are over 80 museums in Sofia alone, right? And then um, if you walk on the street, you'll see amazing architecture and old buildings and historical buildings. But then you cross the next street and you're looking at this amazing street art. That seems to be common everywhere around the world. Like Iceland is one of the capitals for street art. So what sort of street art does Bulgaria have? Well, you know, the Bulgaria has, uh, well, particularly Sofia, had this amazing girl on the wall like and it's not just like small wall it was like big house and i think it's really famous um street art made by this guy who is quite famous artist i'm not sure about the name but um yeah i'm sure that you can find this online as well this particular art of the girl on this big um side of side wall of the house so it's more like artistic it's not just like graffiti you know it's like more like art can i just say there is a huge distinction between graffiti and tagging and just ruining stuff and then (laughs) uh, street art which is really beautiful Exactly, exactly. And then, you know, beside that, they have amazing food, so much food, and then it's, like, not so expensive. It's, it's, I think it's a really great place and it's like offers slightly different uh, feelings and experience than, you know, other cities in Europe. So I would say it's definitely che- worth checking out, yeah. Did you come across anything that you probably wouldn't have found in a guidebook? Oh, so many, Kim. Oh, you'd be so surprised. Like, people haven't got there yet, so you should go now. (laughs) I found so many interesting things to do that I actually didn't really heard before I got there. So, for example, um, you know, there is this uh, dark restaurant called uh, Tiliberis, and I didn't know that it it was there in Sofia. I was like, I always wanted to go to this dark restaurant uh, since I watched that movie called uh, La La Land. It's a really good thing they're doing because the restaurant employs people with no sight. So um, they are disabled because they can't um, see. uh, So they are employing them. And the whole restaurant is completely dark it's a very unique experience you know um perhaps for more adventure seeking foodies you know and um when you when you go there into the restaurant you know you can chat to the waiter and she was really nice like i was by myself so she actually um, spoke with me we chatted for a little bit she told me how her life is in sofia 
like in these um, circumstances. So it kind of like opened up a whole new world for me in a way. And I was like a little bit emotional, you know, being there by myself and then also having to experience this whole thing. It was actually like a little bit too much for me for that evening. Uh, but incredible, unique experience. I 100% recommend um, to everyone. I mean, it's not, I mean, this is, I think, one of the uh, unique experiences in Sofia uh, in terms of uh, food. And, and you're supporting the local community as well, right? So I think it's a great thing. Um, the next, the other one that I remember is um, the place called, I think it's the place called Red Flats. Um, it's basically, it's like um, 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 everyday life in communist Bulgaria back in the day, in 1980s sort of um, era. It, that, that, that experience you get when you go here. So it, it will feel like, you know, visiting a home of an average Bulgarian family and then discovering what everyday life was like for, like, you know, ordinary Bulgarians during the Cold War. And then, um, yeah, and of course, the whole works in, during that era you get to experience and it's just like nine euro for that entry. So I think this is also something that um, is um, uh, highly recommended. I, I think one of the best places to go, and if you don't want to spend a lot of money, I think it's perfect. And you can do a lot of shopping and eat a lot of good food, wine. Yeah, it's perfect. Thanks, Anna. And I believe the artwork that she mentioned in that chat is by the street artist Massimo. Probably not pronounced correctly. <laughs> it's completely yes. different. And yeah. if you didn't associate street art with Bulgaria, you may also enjoy learning about the town there that is internationally recognised as the capital of comedy. And that's later in this episode. Okay. Lucy is our next guest. She runs a blog, Lucy on Locale, and she kick-started this amid her love for solo travel. Um, I have been traveling solo for several years, um, and I realized there was so much information that was really difficult for me to find as a solo traveler um, about researching locations I wanted to go, about some of the best things for solo female travelers to do. So I decided to create uh, my own blog to focus on all this information I wish I had known for future solo travelers. Earlier in the podcast, we spoke to Anna, who is also a solo female traveler. There seems to be a bit of a movement of women that are just happy to go alone. I think so. I think it's becoming more and more um, societally acceptable. I think there used to be a lot of very negative stigmas around it, but I think that more and more of us who are doing it, we're writing about it, we're encouraging others to do it, are are hopefully maybe turning that around and making other women realize that it's something they can do too if they want to. Okay, so Bulgaria then. How did you find that as a solo female traveler? I loved Bulgaria. It was one of the most off-the-beaten-path destinations I've been to in Europe. Um, It just had this feel to it that it hadn't quite been discovered like a lot of other European cities and towns that I'd been to. This is kind of the feel that I'm getting, that it's it feels off the beaten track. Is that because it's, you know, part of Eastern Europe and not normally on the typical tourist route, if that makes sense? I think so. So one part of it was that there just weren't that many tourists there. And when you venture outside of sort of the few 
tourist hotspots. Um, there's even fewer tourists there. And everything feels very authentic. It doesn't feel like a lot of these towns or cities have developed specifically for tourists. When I was there, I genuinely felt like um, everything I was seeing, all the places I was going, that that's how they are all the time, how they have been, and they haven't been developed specifically for foreign visitors. So take us through some of those places that you found that were in a, in a country that's off the beaten track, the off the beaten track places to visit. My favorite place in the entire country was Melnick. It's this tiny town. It's actually the smallest town in the country. It's almost to the Greek border uh, in the south southwestern part of the country. Um, it is a premier wine destination in Eastern Europe. Um, I didn't know about it. It's got uh, incredible variety of um, imported and local grape varieties that are grown there. The town was just picturesque. It was authentic. It was, um, you know, it almost seemed like a village that was sort of situated back in time some. On your site, you have your 10-day itinerary for um, Bulgaria. There's a photo of a stunning cave. Tell me about that. That is the Prodna Cave. Um, It makes for a really easy day trip from Sofia, the capital of the country, where uh, a lot of people usually start or end their trip. Um, And so the cave is also referred to as the eyes of the God, eyes of God, um, because of the two holes. Um, And it's a very accessible cave um, that makes for a really fascinating um, nature trip. And Sophia, the capital, is that, um, you were talking about a lot of the towns that feel like they haven't been developed. Is the, does the capital feel like that as well? It felt more touristy than most of the rest of the country, but compared to capital cities of almost every other European country that I visited, it still seemed less discovered and just more authentic. Now, in your ultimate guide to Bulgaria, outside of your 10-day suggested itinerary, you mention, um, you know, the typical costs when travelling. And one of the great things that I'm finding out about this country too is that it's really inexpensive. Yes, it's relatively cheap, uh, co- especially compared to other European countries. And what about getting around? Is that easy? There's great train systems between the larger cities Um, They have a really good bus network. The buses take quite a bit longer. I rented a car when I was there uh, and found that that was an amazing way to see the country. I could travel on my own schedule. There were so many times that I was driving and I would just pull off because I came upon this incredible panoramic view of the mountains or I drove through this little town that I wanted to stop at a cafe in. And I know a lot of people are, are hesitant about driving overseas. I found driving in Bulgaria to be very straightforward. Um, The roads were in good shape. I had a GPS and with that, everything was really well marked. Um, So I think if you're comfortable, that's probably your best option when you visit Bulgaria. This destination, who would it appeal to? I think history buffs would be fascinated by this country. Um, It's this incredible blend of Eastern European, when you think about, um, you know, post-communist architecture, culture, food, but it has a lot of Western European influences and a lot of Middle Eastern and North African influences. And so you can really find all of those everywhere that you go in the country. 
A great sum up there. Thanks, Lucy. This, though, is the part of the podcast where we give you some practical information on Bulgaria. <laughs> based... Something useful for a change. <laughs> yes, yeah. something that is useful for a change based on the most searched questions. And the first one, Phil, do you need a visa? This is a this is a question everyone wants to know about countries. Yep. Okay. Look, you can stay there for up to 90 days without a visa. While it's part of the EU, it's not actually part of the Schengen area, those, you know, 26 European states which have got open borders and no passports and what have you. So you've got to make sure you keep your passport with you. But you can, it's like a quasi-Schengen, you can get a visa for 90 days. Well, just on that, the second most popular question, travellers want to know why Bulgaria isn't part of the Schengen area. You know, they backed off it uh, from a while, uh, although they were in line to join up because, you know, they were concerned about, you know, the so-called migrant invasion and control of, uh, of their borders if it became borderless. Great. And finally, we've heard it's a good place for a digital nomad, but any downsides that you need to be aware of? Yeah, look, the language barrier, I think. Uh, most locals may have limited knowledge of English, while the o- older generation of Bulgarians will probably not have any English at all. So make sure you uh, take that dictionary with you. Well, we are going to learn about the older generation in Bulgaria with Svet, who's written a travel safety article and will address some of the other questions that people are wanting to know about Bulgaria. But before he gets into that, I was pretty excited to discover that he has done a TEDx presentation. So I had to kick off the chat with him, keen to know what he actually spoke about. Well, I I, I spoke about travel. So uh, my topic was, uh, what does it mean to be a citizen? of the world and currently I'm actually translating because it was in Bulgaria we, uh, it was hosted here in Sofia yeah it was uh, in Bulgaria and I'm, I'm translating it out into English and it's going to be ready probably in a couple of weeks that that is you know one of the whole philosophies behind world nomads is but is being a world citizen being responsible exactly especially with all these things that are happening environmental issues viruses and all that stuff we have to be even more responsible nowadays especially in 2020 so The story that you wrote for us that we're sharing in show notes is about safety in Bulgaria. One thing, again, that stuck out for me, because I'm not good with animals that I don't know, is stray (laughs) animals. So is Bulgaria not the place for me then? Actually, it used to be much worse, like five to ten years ago. So they have made great strides to curbing this problem. So I've put it there because there are, like you can see on occasional cat or dog outside sometimes. And I would say, like, because people are like, oh, that's an adorable cat. I want to pet it. I want to, like, color it and touch it. So I would, I would suggest that you don't do that because you never know whether they are domestic, whether they are stray. Maybe they're stray. Maybe they carry some viruses or parasites or something. Yeah, this would be my concern. They are not, I haven't seen a- anything aggressive or, or else or that, especially in the city center. I haven't seen any, but I just put it there as a safety tip because it, it could be something that could disturb people that are not used to that. But something to look something to look out for for someone like me. Yeah, yeah. Well, there are plenty of uh, safety tips that you have in there. Uh, one of them is fake exchange rates. Now, that's pretty important, isn't it? Well, the thing there is, especially because our currency is packed to, to the euro, and it's it's which is a good thing, but uh, the exchange rate is 1.95 BGN, which is the Bulgarian left, exchanging for one euro. And sometimes because people, especially tourists and foreigners, when they're visiting, they are not very aware and uh, 
exchange kiosks, at, especially at the seaside, because they, we have a lot of tourists in summer at the seaside. They, they add an extra digit, like just one, so you can get cheated very easily, especially like I know some friends almost got, almost fell for that. I also almost fell once for that. But that too, and you write a lot about travel, that could be a, a, a universal tip really, isn't it? It's true. Yeah, that's true. Here, that, that, that's why I gave a specific example uh, with the euro because uh, euro is like, well, we have the most tourists that uh, are coming from, uh, from Europe. That's why the euro is the most used currency like to exchange in Bulgaria. Well, there are a series of very good tips there. Fake taxis as well. The, the good thing is that they introduced a law saying that they cannot charge more than four level, which is around two euros. I'm not sure how much is that in Australian dollars, maybe like 2.5. The thing is, uh, there are some that could charge you double or more. They are similar to the fake exchange rates because they they resemble uh, the le- legit uh, taxi companies like Yellow, OK, uh, Mega Taxi and some others. But they just change one digit in their phone numbers or they like uh, paint the cars uh, in a very similar fashion that's alike the, the other legit companies. So this is a thing that uh, foreigners should watch for. Yeah, all common sense, the fake exchange rates, the inflated bills, the fake taxis. What about, and you you mentioned this in the article too, is it LGBTQ plus friendly? Is it a place that if you're in a same-sex relationship, you could comfortably visit and be open about your sexuality? Well, I would say you could comfortably comfortably visit, but don't be very open about it especially in public places like on the street because bulgaria is part of eastern europe and uh and all the balkan countries are not super friendly against public affection yeah there are a few gay bars and and clubs here things are changing i wouldn't say it's dangerous to be queer or lgbt in bulgaria but just try to be a little bit more secret about it or don't project it or show it very publicly it's not even what i think but what society looks at it so i I would say if if there are like two women that are in the same uh, sex relationship it would be probably better than two men so yeah yeah but just generally keep your public displays of affection to yourselves (laughs) Reserve it for the... Yeah, I would, I would recommend not to be very public about it, so avoid any unnecessary and unpleasant situations because Bulgaria is a great country and you don't want to ruin your experience, but just like wanting to show it publicly because some, some people are trying to even like show it like, I don't know, people here are also not very, very friendly uh, towards people that are uh, either queer or lgbt and sometimes especially for vegans they are like especially those vegans or vegetarians that want to to show and and to to tell you that you should also be a vegan or vegetarian or queer or whatever it's especially bulgarians that haven't traveled a lot in the world because when you travel you get to accept more and more cultures and you see that there's nothing wrong with being gay vegan whatever or from other religions or whatever. So are the younger Bulgarians traveling a lot? I would say, yeah, but I don't know. Some people just don't don't like traveling. I, I don't understand those people because I, I love traveling, but I don't 
ju- judge them either because everybody can choose whatever they want to do with their lives. Yeah, but I'm just wondering in terms of a, a generational shift toward the attitudes of you know people that have perceived differences, whether it's, you know, may in a generation change when you've got um, younger people that are more accepting of other cultures or aware of other cultures? Yeah, younger people would be much more receptive to other cultures, other uh, different habits from all all over the world because younger people are, are the ones that travel more, I guess. Very true, Svet. The world gets bigger every day. Links to Svet's article and his blogs in show notes. And back to the stray dogs yeah. that he mentioned in his travel safety article. Rabies is common in Bulgaria, so get some medical help straight away if you are bitten by a dog. Some people ask about whether they should get a rabies Shock. inoculation before they go to an area that's prone to rabies. You actually need three different injections if you're suspected of having rabies to make sure you don't get it. First one you get is the same one that they give you as the preventative. So you 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 just shorten, you're still going to need three. You just get the first one before you go and get the other two if you believe you've been exposed. So up to you. Talk to your travel doctor about what you want to do. But if you suspect, by the way, (laughs) if you suspect you've got rabies, please do go get those shots because untreated, it's 100% fatal. Yep. Well, Ron sent us an email when he heard we were chatting about Bulgaria, podcast at wellnomates.com, by the way. He's visited before and is visiting again shortly. And he did say the stray dog and cat situation across the country was very hard for him to witness, Phil. Okay. And what else did he mention? Look, he mentioned the first time he was there, they struggled with food in pretty much all of the Balkan countries because each of those countries is really meat-centric and he's a vegan and they were, he and his partner were finding it very hard to eat out. Now, though, they travel slow and cook most of their meals at home, so it's not such a big issue. Which brings us to our next chat with Bridie. She runs World Vegan Travel, offering all-inclusive adventures designed specifically for vegans and the vegan curious. And I kicked off the chat asking where she gets her protein from. <laughs> From plants, <laughs> where the gorillas and elephants get it. <laughs> I've read your website. Tell us about your business. Sure. So uh, we are World Vegan Travel. Me and my partner own the vegan group tour company, World Vegan Travel, and we organize um, unforgettable experiences uh, for vegans and vegan curious. Well, I actually Googled ahead of this interview to see what the sort of top trends were for people uh, typing in to find out about um, vegan travel. And the one, or the, there are two specific things. They want to know how do you do it? And as you say on your website, so you're not the only vegan in the room. And where can you do it? I would maybe push back on that a little bit in that I, I really think that, you know, you can travel anywhere, anywhere as a vegan. I, I do believe that. And I do think that um, there are places in the world where it will be a little bit more um, challenging than others, but uh there's always something to eat. There's usually fresh fruit and fresh vegetables available. Fried rice without eggs is a really good stand, a standby. Um, fried veggies, uh, tofu in a lot of Asia. Um, so, you know, there's usually something to eat. Um, but of course, you know, a lot of vegans and like everybody, they want to really enjoy food because, you know, let's face it, we, we love to eat. And, uh, 
There are pl plenty of places around the world that are, you know, real standout places like Thailand is an amazing place. Um, Vietnam can be an amazing place. Many countries in Europe, the United States, there are a lot of places. And, you know, just to sort of give a little bit of perspective, I mean, I've, I've traveled a lot since I've been vegan, which is 10 years now, and I've never gone hungry the whole time. <laughs> so it might not be particularly inspiring, but there's, there's definitely something there. You're not going to go without. What is your favorite uh, vegan dish? Hmm. I, I am not particularly fussy. I really like everything. I can be happy with a bowl of roasted Brussels sprouts and I can also be happy with a really big dirty burger. Um, I'm, I love Thai food. I love Italian food. Um, I love vegan versions of, you know, food uh, from the destination that I'm going to. I, I just really like it all. It's so hard. It's like picking a favorite child or a favorite pet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hard to do. Well, we'll have a link to worldveganTravel.com in our show notes. But anyone that joins uh, one of your tours, what can they expect? If they're vegans, they can expect to just be really, really spoiled. So um, our trips are like fully inclusive apart from the flights. So you absolutely don't need to think about anything. Um, so, you know, you don't have to think about tips. You don't have to think about, you know, paying for laundry. All of your meals are sorted. All of your drinks are sorted. Um, the tips are all sorted. So, you know, the idea is to really um, have our guests be on holiday and really, really spoil them. We work with hotels and restaurants for about six months in the lead up to a trip. They can expect really, really great food. They can also expect really good um, experience that are sort of designed for vegans. So that might be, for example, um, going and visiting animal organisations that are doing amazing work, or also human animals organise uh, human animal organisations that are doing amazing work as well. So, for example, in Rwanda, when we were there, we we had a special tour um, by the the Akagera Parks, which is run by African Parks, where they gave us a a, a tour of like how this park has come up from being after the Rwandan genocide just there was basically no animals left and now being this incredible place um we also try as as much as we can to we obviously don't visit uh any places or that or do activities that involve animal exploitation so we also try as best as we can to choose um hotels that um, that don't have obvious animal exploitation around the hotel. So, for example, in our Alsatian hotel, because we take over the hotel and our hotel is very nice, we'll ask them to take the deer head off the wall and um, all of those kinds of things because, you know, these things aren't so nice for vegans to, to um, sort of see all of the time. We all, we all know that it's still there, but we're just sort of trying to have a holiday from that. But also one of the most important things is uh, vegans traveling with other vegans and the camaraderie. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you know that when you travel with people on a group tour, you often make friendships really, really quickly. And uh, of course, when you're a vegan and you're with other vegans, that's a really, really nice thing as well. And everyone, you know, is on the same page and um, uh, it's a really safe space and people can, you know, 
express themselves without fear of upsetting people, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we have vegan curious people join us as well. They're often a spouse of, of a vegan and of course, we try to make them feel as welcome as possible. And um, we, we get feedback from the non-vegans as well. And they, uh, no one has said yet that they feel judged that for not being vegan. They feel very happy with um, how they were included and they really enjoyed the food and they didn't feel like they were missing, missing out on anything. Yeah, I'm pretty inspired by your website, to be honest. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you so much. Well, you're very welcome anytime. <laughs> Lovely. Do you take, but you're allowed to drink wine, though, with your vegetables? Of course. Thank you. Of course. <laughs> we do have some vegans, just like they would be non-vegans as well, that don't drink and, you know, you don't need to feel like you have to or that, um, but, uh, of course, there is plenty to drink always. (laughs) Bridie had so much information to share and sent me lots of links for show notes and we'll have to catch up with her again because vegan travel is huge. Huge, fantastic. Lots of info out there. So catching up with her again, like Joe, who is becoming a regular on the podcast and is here to share a very different side of Bulgaria with us. Like many allies of the Soviet Union, Bulgaria has always got short shrift from the West or the Western press. Like Romania, Hungary, pick any Eastern European country, any country. It was lampooned as a place of food queues and rabbit hutch accommodation where privation was the only fact of life. It's just a Western myth. Once the Iron Curtain had been drawn back and it stopped becoming a member of the Warsaw Pact in 91, it didn't take long for Bulgaria to show its true colours, which are amazingly vivid and they go back unfaded to the 7th century. And that's when the Bulgars, which are a people as much as the Magyars, are Hungarian, that's when they took over. It shrunk, it's expanded, uh, but more or less that was the core, and it's still the case. Gabrovo, and it depends where you are in Bulgaria as to how it's pronounced, Gabrovo in the west, Gabrovo in the east. It takes a foreigner to learn the difference because they don't talk to each other. And people in the centre don't talk to the West or the East. These are differences of opinion that they prize and they value each other for not agreeing with the other, if you know what I mean. It's a place that is easy with disagreement, at least as far as the whole of Bulgaria goes. How it gets on with its near neighbours is a different matter. But Bulgaria is a, it's preposterously raucous and at least amused with itself. So yeah. is it them laughing at themselves? It is primarily, but it's also humour of the darkest hue. You know, it's not like this stuff is unfunny. It's not like when someone tells you a joke. Here's one that I was told um, when I first went there. Two Gabrovo drivers, they meet on this really narrow bridge and neither wants to back up um, because they don't want to waste fuel because... This um, this title, the comedy capital of the world, it acquired in 65, and then they started holding festivals in 72, 71, 72. And Bulgaria was a close ally of Sov- the Soviet Union, a member of the Warsaw Pact, and it's a big, big deal. And so they knew uh, what it was to want, 
So two drivers, they meet on a narrow bridge. Neither wants to back up because they don't want to waste fuel. One takes out the newspaper and begins to read, thinking the other would soon get fed up and then back up. But the other driver gets out, sits on the hood of his car and says, uh, after you've read the paper, can I borrow it? And that's the kind of, <laughs> kind of like dark, almost Jewish humour, to be honest, um, even amongst European, uh, East European countries, Bulgarians saw themselves as uniquely afflicted and disaffected. And they had this brilliant kind of like counter technique. If you don't laugh, you'll cry kind of thing. If, yeah, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. And you might still cry anyway. <laughs> and they get the joke. They're being unfunny about funniness. You don't need to be from Bulgaria. You don't need to have a knowledge of Eastern European culture but it does help. It's been a country full of itself, that's to say, fully acknowledging its place in the world, even if it didn't know where anything else was. So yeah, it's got a real sense of its intellectual vigour and what you can do with it. I mean, you know, intellectual vigour can kill a joke as well as make it. So on the, again, their own downtrodden kind of comedy. The Scots are wonderfully Scottish, but they are also not English. And the Bulgarians, though they are funny in their own rights, are also funny because they're not Hungarian and they're not Romanian. Every kind of culture, every culture that's got a humour of its own will pick on its nearest neighbour. The English have been cracking jokes about the Irish for way too long, I would say that, obviously. And Australia about New Zealand. Exactly. And English about the Welsh as well. And I think those sorts of jokes are very similar to the ones that the Aussies crack about the Kiwis. Like there's a peasant culture that when a country is possessed of its own, you know, intellectual might, it will always turn on its smallest, less culturally kind of with it neighbour. And they'll become the butt of the joke. And Bulgaria definitely has that. It's a way of owning its own status amongst its neighbours. Thanks, Joe. Nice to have you back. Before we go, the World Nomads Travel Writing Scholarship to the Caribbean is now open at the time of recording this, of course. So if you want to get your application in, follow the show notes. We've got a link there. Okay, coming up next week is an amazing nomad. Her name is Nora, and she claims to have coined the phrase financially sustainable travel. See ya. See ya. 